0: back and forth between Carolyn and Sam is kind of at the core of this case, and that's why I feel like the cross-sex of Carolyn is probably the second most important moment in this entire trial, the first moment being whether or not Sam takes the stand himself. Welcome to the Powers
1: That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy. It's Thursday, October 12th. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer and Eric Gardner for a special double episode on the Sam Bankman-Fried trial, with Teddy live from the courthouse steps in New York, for an inside look at star witness Carolyn Ellison's testimony against SBF, how the defense is preparing to cross-examine her, and where SBF's legal strategy may be going wrong. All that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy filling in for Peter Hamby for a very special Sam Bankman Freed themed episode here with Teddy Schleifer, who is in New York at the courthouse and Eric Gardner. Uh, you guys have both been following the SBF saga very closely, uh, long before the indictment even. And you have both been trading positions inside the courtroom following some of this really remarkable testimony. Thanks, guys, for joining me. My pleasure.
0: Sure. I'm literally kind of trapped in between some barricades right now outside the (laughs) Daniel Patrick Moynihan courthouse. Been shooed away by security, but anything for the team here um, as we wrap up uh, 6.20 p.m., day six of uh, the SBF trial.
1: Teddy, I love the can-do spirit. We'll start with you since you were in court today for the testimony of Caroline Ellison, who, um, of course, ran SBF's crypto hedge fund while also dating him famously. Uh, She was the first to plead guilty. She she sort of ran straight into the prosecution when this indictment came down. And she's the
0: star witness for the government. Uh, Teddy, tell me about what you heard from her today. So Caroline was on the stand for uh, probably about six hours of real time. uh, And that was just direct examination. We didn't even get to the cross, um, which is coming later today as we, as we record this, Ben. Carolyn was extraordinary. I was floored. I thought she had receipts galore, signal messages, Google Sheets that are sort of, you know, uh, tracked every little dollar that, that flowed throughout the SBF empire, Google Docs that kind of functioned as uh, almost love letters or, or, or personal letters to Sam. The documents were very powerful. This was not a he-said-she-said situation. The prosecutor supplied tons of exhibits from Carolyn that I thought made her case very, very powerful. She talked about an attempt by Sam to kind of bribe the Chinese government to get some uh, accounts from Alameda unfrozen. She talked about the ways in which Alameda lied to its lenders about money that was actually being taken from customers to repay lenders. And I thought she, and probably the the emotional high point of today, was when she cried. It was at about 2.30 p.m. Prosecutors were asking her about the fateful events of November 2022. I'm just paging through my notes here, Ben, just so I want to give you the kind of what exactly happened here. And there were tears of joy and, and tears of, of happiness, as she described, kind of the moment in which her worst fears became true, which was the unraveling of FTX, she said that it was overall the, the worst week of, of my life, but she still felt a sense of relief that she can now be honest about kind of the fraud that she committed. Uh, an, an exhibit was shown on the screen at that point, Ben, uh, some signal messages between her and Sam where Carolyn said that this is the best mood I've been in in a year. <laughs> the best mood that she's ever been in is when the company is tearing apart at the seams and you know people seem to be you know fleeing to avoid jail time but she had this sense of relief because she
1: felt like like she didn't have to lie anymore that, that that the burden had sort of been lifted because all of this was being exposed
0: yes yes you know she said that basically that she didn't feel like she had to lie anymore basically and she was given tissues and it was actually kind of an aberration from the rest of her performance which i thought was very kind of professional and composed and clinical she had one moment of kind of a breakdown and I don't, I don't think it was an act. I think it was like genuine feeling that she finally could talk about what happened publicly. And, and there was a part of me, Ben at the beginning of this day, sorry for the ramble here, but where I, I thought she had to re- really actually be looking forward to today, even though she entered, you know, wearing sunglasses indoors and she was being gawked at by press and photographers. I thought she probably feels like this is a chance for her to reclaim the narrative. To, to reclaim her public perception is not like, you know, the Harry Potter obsessed LARPer who, you know, is in a polycule and everything that the tabloids said about her. This was a <laughs> chance for her to kind of right. speak, her, speak her honest truth. And um, dare I say she enjoyed it.
1: Eric, I want to bring you in here. I know you weren't in court today. You've been in court for a number of the previous days of this trial. But preview for us what you think the defense might do on Thursday. Obviously, we're recording this uh, late Wednesday after the courtroom has just let out. The cross is going to begin um, sometime later today as people are listening to this. What is the potential strategy for them? Are you you trying to break down Carolyn's credibility? Do you you say that, you know, she shares a lot of responsibility herself?
2: Yeah, I mean, part of it will be to impeach her credibility. They'll bring up the fact that they used to date, that she might have a vendetta because of that. They might bring up whatever drug use that she was doing, uh, her her maybe questionable decisions in in terms of investment in running the thing. But actually, I think that the the main drive will be something that we saw during the cross of Gary Wang, who is the co founder of FTX. Actually, I think that Sam Beckman Fried's lawyers struggled during the first week, but they had an okay day on Tuesday. And I'm starting to get the sense that they really want to hammer the message that Sam might have been a risk taker, but that doesn't make him a crook. He was the sort of guy, to quote Caroline Ellison, who would say, yes, if you proposed a coin flip where heads would yield the end of the earth and tails would make them Earth more than twice as better. So he's an aggressive math nerd and that's an explanation for everything that he did. Now, how does it play a part here? Well, you know, in, in Sam's eyes, you know, he always had the intention of repaying customers. Now, the judges put limits on this. The judge has said that just because he repaid, had this intention, it doesn't excuse any of the potential fraud. But there is a sense that Sam really wants to highlight that up until very recently, Recently, the value of Alameda's assets were, were pretty substantial and they not were only in the F coin, but also stuff like, you know, Alameda had investments in artificial intelligence that have taken off. And so up until the crypto market uh, experienced a the nosedive, uh, there might have been a, a sense that these customer debts really could have been repaid. So Sam had confidence, he might not have had total liquidity, but he still had a sense of solvency. And so a lot of his actions in terms of, you know, explaining like borrowing money can be kind of just explained as him being a, a very aggressive business person in a very fluid market. That's a very, very complicated point, and I question whether it's maybe a little too complicated for this jury, um, so it's it's a very delicate balance, you know, it's going to be something that's going to need to come up again during closing arguments, but I, I see that's the direction that, that they're really going with the narrative, and so I expect uh, during the cross of Caroline, uh, Ellison, to, to really hammer the point that Sam was just making the decisions based on being an aggressive risk taker.
1: Eric, has Judge Kaplan placed any limitations on the defense in their ability to um, to make that argument to the jury or is that essentially what they're hearing in court?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we see motions about this pretty much every night. You know, we see motions made about the defense's ability to bring up the fact that there were lawyers in the room, that there were, you know, that uh, Alameda ha- had these artificial intelligence investments, that that his intentions to repay customers, and you know, the judges pretty consistently favored or at least sided with the prosecutors here. Yeah, and and narrowed the scope of what you know, Sam Bankman-Fried can't bring up. That being said, they still are bringing up and doing whatever they can to point to the fact that the crypto market really experienced a huge crash uh, in the middle of, of last year that really like changed the fortunes of everything. But for that crash, there wouldn't have been any customers racing to, to withdraw funds. Alameda might have even have had uh, the necessary money assets to, you know, repay customers. Um, so that really just kind of changed everything. And that's the narrative they're trying to, to come across, even if it's a very complicated point and it's not particularly clear whether it's going to be an effective one or not.
0: Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel, Ben, like the prosecution is prosecuting Sam and the defense is prosecuting Carolyn. You know, that Carolyn is going to be, you know, the cross that's going to happen of Carolyn later today is going to be brutal. And it's going to be really centered on kind of trying to make the defense almost make this an election rather than a referendum. Who's more at fault, Sam or Carolyn? Obviously, Carolyn's not being charged with a crime here. She's pled guilty to crimes. But that won't stop the SBF team from laying so many decisions, from lying to lenders, to the decision to use customer deposits, which is the core of the fraud case. They're going to lay all those decisions on Carolyn's feet, and and make jurors have second thoughts about whether or not Sam is more responsible than Carolyn. Which of course is not the legal standard. It's a question of whether or not Sam is responsible, and whether or not the jury, you know, the prosecution has met the burden of proof for prosecuting Sam. But You know, that was obvious from the opening statements when the words Carolyn Ellison were were used again and again by the defense for a crime that, you know, she's not being charged for right now, at least. So I I think blame Carolyn, blame Carolyn, blame Carolyn is core to this. And I saw this today where the prosecution is aware of that. And they they were arguing at times that, you know, Sam would kind of make orders to Carolyn, but would also do them not in writing. Um, there was a big focus today from Carolyn about explaining why she did certain things and whether or not she was actually being ordered by Sam to do those things. And I thought it was an effort by the prosecution to sort of inoculate them from the argument that, that the defense is going to make, which is that Carolyn was doing these these crimes on her own. Where, where is the proof? It's not in writing. Did Sam ever say in writing do this? And Carolyn testified that Sam basically said, don't put anything in writing ever. Uh, And that's why they have disappearing signal messages, et cetera, et cetera. But the back and forth between Carolyn and Sam is kind of at the core of this case. And that's why I feel like the cross-sex of Carolyn is probably the second most important moment in this entire trial. The first moment being whether or not Sam takes the stand himself.
2: I, I also want to add, I think that the defense is going to be have to be very careful because there are nine women on this jury compared to three men. So if this becomes a he said, she said battle, uh, just based on the composition of the jury, that, that might be a dangerous territory for them.
1: Yeah, of course. And also you've got Gary Wang has testified to sort of the similar thing that Sam directed him to commit these crimes. They didn't just do them together, but the, these orders came from Sam. Presumably, Nishad Singh, another top FTX executive who is going to give
0: testimony at some point, will say something similar, although we will see. Ben, I always think it's very interesting that for both Gary and Carolyn, at least, the opening questions are very simple and, and very powerful. The prosecution asks, did you commit crimes? The witness says, yes. Who did you commit the crimes with? Sam Bankman-Fried. Do you see Sam Bankman-Fried? that guy right there it's like that's the beginning and that's also kind of the end of every direct examination of gary wang and of carolyn ellison at least and i think it's very simple so that i think is powerful and you don't you don't have to listen to anything after that if you're a juror like that's the power of the flip
1: right that's the case right there all right let's take a quick break and when we get back let's talk about how this might end and also whether sam might be regretting having gone to trial with this in the first place All right, we're back. Eric, we have talked a lot in the past about the risk you take when you go to trial. You've covered hundreds of cases. You understand sort of how both the prosecution and the defense think, how likely this argument is being received by the jury. Do you have an early sense of what conclusion we're headed towards here? Is Sam almost certainly going to be guilty or do you see shades of gray where this could still fall apart?
2: Yeah, I think in in most cases, there's a lot of plea bargaining, but what we learned... In this case, was that there was none of that. The prosecutors uh, basically went to the defense and said, "Do you want to have this discussion?" And they said no, and that was the end of it. And went to trial, and there was, you know, very very little talk about there ever being a plea bargain. You know, I think, you know, when I talked about, you know, the coin flip and the world ending, and and Sam you know, would take that coin flip if it yielded a better universe. I think the same goes for trial. I think that he sees even if there's, you know, a say thirty percent chance that that he can be found not guilty. That's better than pleading guilty and taking a few years, or, you know, it's, it's better than no shot whatsoever at, at having any sort of freedom. So so he's taking this risk, and for, by the same standard, I, I expect him to testify. I don't think that it's a fait accompli. I, I, you know, I think that it's possible still that he can be found not guilty. I'm getting texts from a lot of lawyers who tell me that they think that, you know, he actually has a good defense here but they're not very confident in his lawyers. His lawyers have struggled they struggled during the openings. They've struggled at times to, you know, provide a clear line of questioning, and they've seen rattled. I don't know how this is going to play out. I think I'd probably bet on, on a guilty, but it's, you know, very, very early right now. We have to see how the cross goes tomorrow of Caroline. We have to see how Sam's uh, testimony goes. Those are, you know, as Teddy said, you know, pr- the two most important moments of, of trial. So before we even get there, it's, it's you know, it would be foolish to, to predict anything. And and then we have to see what the closing arguments look like and whether the defense can really like, you know, put together a narrative that explains everything besides, you know, secrets happening and lies happening. So it's still, you know, a long road ahead and anything can happen. That's just the nature of, of jury trials.
1: Teddy, you wrote a little bit about this last week, about how Sam sort of thinks about his own personal risk calculus. And you've also talked to him uh, multiple times in the past. You've met with him in person when he was under house arrest. Do you think he's regretting this at all? Is this a strategy of of going to trial when, you know, at least potentially there might have been off ramps had he, you know, gone hat in
0: hand to prosecutors and, and, and looked to do some kind of deal? Look, I mean, I think the prosecution case is going as well as it possibly could six days in. Sam has a massive ego. Let's just say that plainly. And you know, he might have made a decision based largely on that, that is coming to kind of coming to terms with the mountain of evidence that prosecutors have. Like, you know, who who are you going to bet on? Like the ego or the signal message? Like the ego or the Google Doc? I mean, um, does Sam regret it? I don't know. I mean, he's sitting there in court right now, or every day that I've been there, you know, in his gray suit and his too short, purple tie, and you know his kind of undercut, like tapping away at his air gap laptop and correcting his lawyers. And this does not seem like a guy who is having any second thoughts. He seems like he's like preparing for battle. The the, the word I often think about with Sam, and I sympathize with this a little bit because I'm a little bit of a schemester. I, I think of Sam as a schemester. <laughs> like I think he's always got an angle. He's like playing or thinks he's playing 4D chess or 5D chess, but sometimes just playing damn chess. And like, I feel like there is a a schemingness to him that obviously blew up during 2022 and is, we're seeing it right now in, in court um, where he's got this advice of counsel defense, which like is, is kind of a scheme. Um, you know, he, he is scheming away right now. You know, he was scheming away when he leaked Carolyn Ellison's, diary to the new york times and sometimes schemes backfire like i'll I'll tell you that um so i i kind of feel like the ego has not been extinguished over the last year and we're seeing it every day here at moynihan courthouse in downtown new york
1: all right teddy eric thank you guys both so much we gotta leave it there but appreciate you hopping on i know it's been a long day for you teddy eric you as well uh let's get you both back on here real soon we'll keep uh talking through this we still have a couple weeks to go
2: you bet sounds great
1: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey.